If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn in them to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Uh, the passage that uh, Dave read for us this morning is uh, the place we will land, perhaps, at the end of the service. Um, 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Um, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's, you can find that on page 1156 um, in the Pew Bible. I want to echo Pastor Rick's words from last week and let you know that we are, uh, as a staff and as a ministry and as a leadership, we are really excited to be able to present this sermon series to you over the next eight weeks or so. If you haven't, if you weren't with us last week, uh, this, the message in the sermon series that we are presenting is called An Inconvenient Truth. We are entering this, this series and we are looking at the truths of Scripture and the Christian life together. We're looking at the truths that the Scriptures proclaim and how we live our Christian life in this culture today. And we're looking at them together and we've come to realize and to understand that if we look at this from an honest perspective, there are some very inconvenient truths to us as we try to navigate life and faith in the culture that we live in. And so we're going to be upfront and honest with you right away that there are some hard things here that we will say over the next eight weeks or so. But we are confident that God's Word is true and that we stand on that and that He has given us His Word to guide us into not just the Christian faith that we practice, but He has given us His Word to guide us into every area of our life, period. His Word is true and we stand on that. His Word is powerful and we rest in that. Not just for Christian life, but for everything that we encounter in our complete existence. And I know that you are interested in this series as well. We've been hearing from some of you throughout the week. Uh, already we're fielding questions about some of the topics we're going to be talking about, some of the, the issues we'll be presenting And uh, I agree with Pastor Rick that if you have questions, if you have comments, if you have concerns, please put that in an email and send them to him. (laughs) He will be glad to handle all of those tough... No, in all honesty, in all honesty, please write down your questions, send them to us. We want to reply. We want to be able to to help you navigate your life in this culture according to God's standards. We are committed to that as a staff. We are committed to that as uh, the leadership here at First Alliance Church. That is our utmost importance, that you will be able to navigate life. And so please, if you have questions about life and faith and and God's Word and this culture and, and how to make those two things mix and jive, Go ahead and, and write those and send those in. Uh, honestly, seriously, we did write uh, print uh, our email addresses on the middle part of the bulletin uh, this week so that you have those uh, there as well. Our desire is that you would live out your faith in, in this culture in a way that brings you closer to God and in a way that inspires other people to seek Him. So this morning we begin with a foundational belief, not only for Christian faith, but again, really a a foundational belief for all of life. And that foundational belief is this, the Bible is the written Word of God. 
revealing truth which comes from God, and as such is our final authority to guide and to govern our lives. Let me say that one more time. The Bible is the written Word of God, revealing truth which comes from God, and as such is our final authority and guide to govern our lives. That's a bold statement, but that's what we believe. We believe that this Bible has been given to us for our benefit, not for our demise. It's been given to us not to enslave us with a bunch of rules, but to bring us freedom and experience the fullness of life. It has been given to us by the Creator of the world so that we, His creation, may know Him. We believe God is not hidden. We believe that God is not silent. And so, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. That's what we affirm. And that's what we believe. And you know, it would be easy this morning as we build an argument for that foundational belief that God's Word is the final authority to guide and to govern our lives, it would be easy to jump right into the Scriptures and to start pulling verses out that that pertain to that and show that and support that. But you and I both know that the culture that we live in is quite skeptical and the people that we interact with are have a lot of good questions about faith and life. And so before we even jump into what the Scriptures say about themselves, I think it's important that we look at the Scriptures from an external perspective and and look at it uh, from that angle so that we can help people who simply believe that that the Bible is is a book of good Christmas and Easter stories. We know there's more to that, and we want to help them on that path. First of all, as we look at uh, the, the basis of the authority of God's Word, I, I want to mention this. I know some of this is going to feel a little academic, and so I, I don't want this to feel like a lecture or like you're sitting in a classroom, but it is important that we get through some of these foundational things before we move on, because really, over the next couple of weeks, what we speak about, the truths that we speak about that interact, that that Uh, intersect your Christian life and your walk with God need to be based on this foundational principle that God's Word is our final authority. So I want us to look first with from an external perspective on the validity of God's Word and what it has to say. Just last year in 2007, Gallup, uh, the Gallup Poll Organization did a survey and found that 86% of people believe in God or a supernatural being. 86% of the people surveyed believed in God or some kind of uh, universal spirit. The belief that God exists is strong. And for a great majority of people, it's a given. So we start there. God exists. A second thing that we need to take a look at is that it doesn't take too much to realize that the creation the universe, the world that we live in, points to a creator. If God exists, then this world that we live in, this, this universe 
the everything that we experience when we when we wake up and live and breathe and walk through life the the uh, the cosmos that we can look at and explore the uh, the nature that we see around us the plant life to animal life everything that around that is around us points to a creator this is not random this didn't just happen if we would take an honest look and search our hearts and look at creation, we would say this came from somewhere and it points us back to a creator. If we would take a different angle and look at it from a different perspective as well, we would see that all of creation not only points us to a creator, but it also tells us something about a creator. It tells us that our creator is powerful. It tells us that our creator um, is is very creative in and of himself. It points to his uh, vastness. It points to his great detail in life and in being. And for some of us who wake up in the morning and, and look in the mirror, it points to his humor. <laughs> there is a creator who exists, who created heaven and earth and the world and the universe that we know it. And the human heart of man seeks God. If we would be honest with ourselves this morning, and many of you have in your spiritual journey came to a point when you, when you said, you know what, there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to life than the way I'm living and the way I'm acting and, and going through the mundane repetition of life. There's got to be something more. There's got to be something that will fill this, this vacuum, this hole in my heart and in my spirit that I just can't shake. There's got to be something more. And so we've commonly referred to that as a God-shaped vacuum that sits in the heart of man that only God can fill. We've tried to fill it with other things. And we could take an hour and list all of those things that, that we've tried to fill that vacuum in our heart with. But the reality is, in the heart of man, there's an emptiness that is only filled by God. And so if our heart longs for God, if our heart longs for there to be something more, we look at creation and understand that there is something more. There is someone out there that didn't just create the world and stepped away, but there is somebody out there, there's a creator, there is a God who is at work in the lives of people. And if that is true, then we turn to the scriptures and we say, if, cre- if, if he speaks through creation, does he also speak through what we have been told the Bible is? And again, before we get into what the Bible says, let's look at the Bible from an objective point of view. Look at it as a, as a product of literature. The Bible that we have contains 66 books. This Bible that we have with 66 books is written by 35 different authors. 66 books, 35 different authors, authors written over centuries of time. 66 different books, 35 different authors written over centuries of time by, by authors who lived in different regions and different cultures in different places. Yet they all share the common thread of God's love for man and his redemptive plan through Jesus Christ. They don't contradict each other. They don't stand in opposition with each other. All of the books as a piece of literature put together with all of the variables present, there is no contradiction in their message of faith and the redemptive work of God. 
If we look at the scriptures, not only from a literary work, but if we look at the scriptures as manuscript evidence, the New Testament manuscripts and the, the approximate time span between the original writings of the New Testament manuscript and the earliest copy that we have, those statistics completely blow away some of the same statistics for the writings of Plato, Aristotle, Homer, and others. For example, there's a 1,200-year span, 1,200-year span between the time of Plato's original writing and the earliest manuscript copy that we have of it on hand. 1,200 years between the two, and there's only seven manuscripts available of those writings of Plato. Yet no one, no one would argue the validity or the reliability of Plato's writings. In comparison, the New Testament was written between 50 and 100 A.D. That was the time frame that that the New Testament was coming together and the writers experienced everything they did with Jesus. Now they sat down and started to record this between 50 and 100 A.D. The earliest manuscript is dated about 130 A.D. And that leaves us with less than 100 years, less than 100 years between the original writing and the earliest manuscripts that we have about those writings. And we have 5,600 manuscripts available to us for the New Testament. And because of the number of documents and manuscripts available, they can be cross-checked for accuracy. And the accuracy rate of the documents of the New Testament are 99.5%. That means the documents that were written and copied 5,600 times, the content of those manuscripts compared to all the previous manuscripts they were copied from are 99.5% accurate. Compare that to Homer's writing of the Iliad and his accuracy rate is only 95% with 643 documents. You need to remember that when the writers were writing, when the scribes were transcribing these New Testament documents from the original to the manuscript copies, they did it by hand. There was no scanning department. There was no Xerox. There was no Office Max where they take down and you know lay the document down. There was none of that. They did it by hand. And if there was one error that they caught, if they caught one error, they stopped, ripped it up, threw it away, and started all over again. That's how meticulous they were. 5,600 documents. So with all of these external issues, the Bible as we know it is either a great fraud or it's completely reliable. Those are our conclusions. The Bible that we have and we hold and we hold on to is either a, a great, the greatest fraud in literary work or it's completely reliable. Now we look on the inside, the internal argument for the authority of Scripture, the argument from within the Bible itself. John Anderson, an adjunct professor at Wheaton College, indicates that the Scripture openly claims authority for itself. The Scripture claims the authority for itself right in its teachings. Forty-six times throughout the, throughout the Scriptures, the statement, it is written, is used as an authoritative statement. Seven times we see the phrase, Scripture says. And 38 times, Jesus himself appeals to the law and the prophets, affirming the teachings of the Old Testament. Remember, the New Testament that we have is the life 
of Christ and the life that the apostles lived after Christ. So as Jesus is right, is, is teaching, he doesn't have the New Testament. He is the New Testament. It hasn't been written yet. And so when Jesus speaks and he appeals to the scriptures, he appeals back to the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And as he does so, he affirms their validity. He affirms their authority for life and faith. The New Testament writers themselves affirmed the validity and the authority of scripture. One of the most powerful statements within Scripture about the authority of God's Word comes from that passage that Dave read for us this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 16, Paul is giving his instructions to a young, young church planter with a new church, and he's saying, teach your people this, that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed. In some translations in your Bible, it'll say all Scripture is inspired. That word inspired, when you look at the original language, is actually a compound word that means God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. God breathed these words by His Holy Spirit into the writers of the New Testament. And the writers in the New Testament wrote down the words that came to them from inspiration from the Holy Spirit as God breathed them out. Scripture is God's word. Again, Paul writes to the leaders in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and he says, We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, you heard from, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God which is at work in you who believe. Peter, a different apostle, a different writer, writing to a different community and a different culture, says this, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy, no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Again and again and again, the writers of the New Testament affirm to their, to their, their listeners and with and cross-reference with each other, these words that are written in this Bible do not come from us. They come from God through the Holy Spirit who inspired us to write these words. Jesus Christ Himself, the incarnate Word of God, testifying to and validating the Old Testament message, and the Old Testament message validating the person, the work, the life, and the teachings of Jesus Christ are evident in Scripture. Jesus not only pointed back to the Old Testament to affirm the authority of the Old Testament, but the Old Testament pointed forward to Jesus and affirmed His life, His teaching, His his, uh, purposes, and His priorities. So Jesus was just either really lucky that His life lined up with the Old Testament, He was really fortunate, or He was the Messiah who came to redeem God's people. 
He even says in John chapter 12, For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that His command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Again, Jesus returning the authority of the words that He spoke that He knew would be written down. The authority doesn't even rest in Christ alone. The authority of these words rests in God the Father who spoke to Christ and spoke to the people around Him so that they would write these words. Even the words of Jesus are the words of God speaking to man. So with all that external evidence and with all of the internal evidence, the authority of Scripture is something we receive and we hold on to by faith. We believe by faith that when we read this book that the Holy Spirit will illuminate our mind. He will teach us. He will guide us. He will show us what the truths of this book mean. He speaks in fresh and new ways in our hearts. Ways that will be useful for that moment and season in our life where we are reading it. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, says that the Word of God is living and active. The Word of God is living and active. It isn't stale and dry. But the Word of God is living and active and speaks directly to your heart today. Right where you're at, what you're walking through, what you're dealing with. God's Word speaks to you with authority. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 19, verses 8 and 9, that the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The authority of God's Word as truth for our life and faith is undeniable. We cannot deny the authority of Scripture to guide and govern our lives. Class dismissed. And so we live by this Word. We take this Word and we live by faith that what it has to say for us is for our good and for our benefit. We believe and we live by faith that God's desired goal in, in the authority of His Word is not to enslave you or to entrap you. His desire is a personal relationship, one where you can experience the fullness of life. If when the Bible speaks, God speaks, then I have to affirm its, its authority over my life. If when the Bible speaks, God speaks, I have to affirm its authority over my life. Not just my Christian life. Not just my Christian faith. This is God's authoritative truth for all areas and all practices of my life. Everywhere. John Ortberg once wrote that, that God is not concerned about your Christian life. God is concerned about your life. All of it. Every single aspect. And so if this is God's Word speaking to us, 
we need to understand it has authority over every part of our life. Everyone. From how we treat our spouse to how we treat our children, the Bible speaks. From how we treat our neighbors to how we treat our employer and employees, the Bible speaks. From how to discern the voice of God for guidance in life to the parameters of living that God has established, the Bible speaks. From money management to time management, the Bible speaks. And so when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And here's the rub. Here's the challenge. Here's the difficulty with that. When God speaks truth from His Holy Word through His Holy Spirit, the message and the results can be very inconvenient for us. Both for those who are outside of faith, looking into the Christian world, and also for those, who, those of us who call ourselves Christ followers. And have said, we're going we're gonna to give our lives to Christ, we're going to lay it on the line, and we will, we will follow God and worship Him with our life. If we believe that, if we believe the authority of God's Word to govern and guide our lives, there are moments and seasons in our life where, where God's Word is very inconvenient for us. And that's what we have to struggle with. And that's what these next eight weeks are about. You see, for those who are outside of the Christian faith, kind of looking and observing and and questioning it, the authority of Scripture is very inconvenient because it means that people of other faiths have a faith that is false. And so Christians are intolerant. For those who want an open-minded approach to life, the authority of Scripture is inconvenient because it, it calls us to follow one standard and be measured by that one standard. And so the Christian life is just a bunch of rules. For those who want to just perceive truth and feel their way through life, it's very inconvenient because it means that truth is concrete and unchanging. It's absolute. And so God is harsh and God is cruel. Do you know, for those of us, again, who call ourselves Christian, there are times when the gospel is, is very inconvenient. There's times when if we hold on to this authority of God's word, it's tremendously inconvenient for our lives. Because you see, the scriptures are not politically correct. And we live in a culture and we live in a day and age where everything has to be politically correct. From the way we greet people on the street to the way we talk to people in our offices, from the way that we respond to an email, from the way that we pick up the telephone and call and talk to people, everything has to be politically correct because we don't want to offend other people and their views and their, their desires and their passions, their outlook on life. But I want you to know that, that for the Christian, if you hold on to the authority of God's Word, we cannot live a life that is politically correct in every area. We just absolutely cannot. I'm not saying we can go out and be rude and, and crass towards other people. God doesn't teach that either. 
But the Bible is very clear. The authoritative Word of God draws a line in the sand and it calls sin, sin. The the authoritative Word of God draws a line and He says, if you live this way, if you behave in this manner, if you live according to these practices, it is sin and it will destroy your life. But if you live according to these practices and in this way and in this standard, you will live and you will have life to the full. It's not politically correct. And I may be way off base here, but I would rather be spiritually right than politically correct. And you can rest assured that the leadership and the staff and the the elders of this church will not be drawn into arguments of being politically correct. We hold to the authority of Scripture. We hold to the the line that is drawn in the sand. And we teach that And we encourage that because it leads to life and it leads to the fullness of life. And really over the next couple of weeks, those are the issues we'll be unpacking. But at times it's really inconvenient. At times the authority of Scripture is really inconvenient because of the time factor. This whole idea of of studying God's Word and and searching out the Scriptures and and trying to figure out what He's saying and and the whole idea of reasoning together is found throughout the Scriptures. Meditate on God's Word. Day and night you'll find written in the Scriptures. But the reality is that takes time. And it becomes very inconvenient for that to be authoritative in my life because it means I have to spend time reading it. I have to actually get into it. I actually have to study it. Simply carrying our Bibles around from home to church and back home again will not help us understand the truth of God more. Our Christian culture has gotten lazy. We need to get into and read God's Word for the authority to grab hold of our lives. And this takes time. It means I need to go beyond big church on Sunday. We all like to come to big church on Sunday morning and worship with each other. And I love coming here week after week with all of you and worshiping together. But if God's Word is truth, if it has authority to guide and govern our lives, we've got to move beyond big church. There's more to understanding the Scriptures than sitting here together on a Sunday morning. I have to personalize it. I have to study it. I have to read it. I have to know it for myself. I can remember growing up as a kid that my dad would go to work at his business very early in the morning. And when I would come down and be getting ready to uh, get on the bus to go to school, I I can remember sitting on our our, uh, countertop my dad's Bible and the, the, the study guide that he would use. And he would take the time before his busy day, early in the morning, to get up and read God's Word before he went to work. It was a priority for him. And so he managed his time well so that he could weave that into his life. You know, maybe we need to be in a small group where we can grow together and it's not so difficult 
and we can share the time management together. Maybe we need to be part of a Bible study that helps me understand some of the things I'm struggling with. Maybe we need to take the time to actually put on our calendar Married Life Live February 9th. It's a shameless plug, so please sign up. But it takes time. If we don't plan, take the time to plan it, if we don't take the time to, to arrange our schedule, you don't even have to get a babysitter. We've taken care of that. You just need to take the time to get together. But time's always an issue, isn't it? It's really inconvenient. Based on our calendar, based on our gas prices, based on what babysitters we like and are available, it's kind of inconvenient to go beyond big church. But I argue that it's worth the inconvenience. Another reason we find the authority of Scripture inconvenient is because it's full of hard sayings. There are times, there are some things that that we don't understand when we read, when we read them in Scripture. And so it's very easy to just close the book and put it away and say, you know what, I don't get it. I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know how that all kind of works out in life. So I'm, I, just, I don't have time to get into it and study it, so I just set it aside. And we allow the hard sayings of Scripture to distract us from actually reading it and trying to figure it out. As inconvenient as those hard sayings may be, they do not reduce the authority, nor do they negate the truth of Scripture. What it means is that we have to put more effort into our understanding of what God is saying through these writers. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to teach us. John 15 tells us that's His work. The Holy Spirit teaches and guides us into truth. Another reason that we uh, that the that the authority of Scripture is is inconvenient is because it's convicting. You know, there are times when we read the Scriptures, when we get into reading God's Word, and it, it makes us feel guilty, and we don't feel good about ourselves or our lives or what's happening as we read the Scriptures. And I will argue that if that guilt is appropriate guilt then the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit are doing the exact thing that they are supposed to do. The Scriptures are there to guide and to govern our lives. Again, look at John 15. The work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us so that God can point His finger at us and, and, and harm us? No, absolutely not. So that we can be brought back across that dividing line that Scripture calls sin and brought into the fullness of life. The conviction is there so that we would redirect our course. But it's inconvenient. And so we turn away from it. Still, another reason that the authority authority of Scripture is inconvenient is because of rules and tradition. The authority of Scripture is terribly inconvenient for those of us who want to live, live life and practice faith based on the traditions of man and the rules of churches instead of the commands of God. You see, the authority of Scripture clearly states 
how we are to live our life, how we are to practice faith. And if we hold to those standards, then the authority of Scripture is terribly inconvenient for all of us who grew up with rules and tradition that say this is how you do church. This is how you practice faith. This is where you go and how you are supposed to be and look and act when it comes to being Christian. For those of us who grew up with tradition and rules, the authority of Scripture is terribly inconvenient because God does not give any credence to any of those things. In fact, if you would search the Scriptures, you would see in Mark chapter 7 that Jesus railed against the Pharisees and the religious leaders by saying you have a fine way of holding on to the rules and the traditions of man and casting aside the commandments of God. And we hold on to our rules and we hold on to our traditions and we're losing a generation. And we look at each other and we say, where's the next generation? Why are they all leaving the church? I don't understand. It's because we've lived a life full of rules and tradition. The authority of God's Word calls us to grace and to faith. And the authority of God's Word lines out perfectly how we are to live and how we are to treat each other in a Christian community. We've substituted God's grace with our preferences. And friends, we're losing a generation. We're losing a generation. if the Scriptures are really God's written authority for our lives, then it's very inconvenient for those of us who have built our theology on because my pastor said so, because my parents said so, because that's the way we've always done it. The authority of God's Word is very inconvenient in those moments. The authority of God's Word is very inconvenient for those of us who think we hold the expert opinion on everything. You know, I don't know what it is about our media and our culture today, but from from television talk shows to the news media, we've all become experts, right? Every single one of us, if if you have Internet and you know how to send email to Fox News or to CNN, you're an expert. Your opinion is just as strong and just as valid as those who are trained and studied and, and understand the details and the depth. I mean, all I need is to take my phone out, take a picture of something, and email it to CNN, and I'm an authority on what's going on around me. And that's what's happened in our Christian faith and in our Christian life. We all think we are the authority. We all think that what, what we think the Scriptures say is what matters. But it's very inconvenient if we hold to the authority of Scripture because as we live in this postmodern world and with our study groups and with our discussion boards and with our small groups, it's inconvenient because we can't rest on what we think. We can't rest on what we think the Bible says. We need to rest on what the Bible does say and then think through how we need to adjust our life. That's the authority of Scripture. Can you imagine 
standing before God, the creator of the universe, and saying, good job, but I think you should have done it this way. But isn't that what we say? Isn't that what we say with our hearts? And so the authority of Scripture becomes quite inconvenient because it challenges us. It challenges us to to change our lives. The, The authority of God's Word impacts us every day. It impacts how we live It impacts the choices we make on weekends. It impacts our marriages. It impacts our values and our morals and our ethics. It impacts every area of our lives. But it's not inconvenient because God is heavy-handed. It's not inconvenient because God is cruel. It is inconvenient because our human nature is struggling with God's Spirit. That's why it's inconvenient. Our human nature wants to live and act and move in this direction while God's Spirit comes in and says, I want you to live and move and act in this direction because in this direction there's life and in that direction there's death. But we struggle. And that's why it's inconvenient. But remember... God's purpose is that we might know Him and have fullness of life. That's why He writes these words. Not to harm you, but to give you life. As Pastor Rick introduced this series last week, I was traveling with four other FACers down in Quito, Ecuador, South America. We were down there for a a short-term missions trip and conference. And uh, the, the the trip was fantastic. It was a, a great opportunity. It was a great experience. The country is absolutely beautiful. The, the people are great. We got out before the volcano started to erupt, so it was all good. And, um, you know, the, the one thing that that I thought of, though, was this. When we touched down in Houston and we were finally back on U.S. soil, I was so thankful to be back in a country where the lines on the road actually mean something. (laughs) You see, you see, driving around Quito, and and I just rode in the car, I didn't even drive, driving around Quito was, was, it scared the pants off this gringo, let me tell you. It was just nuts. Two million people get in their cars, point in a direction, and just go. It's a, it's a complete free-for-all. The, the lines, they mean nothing. They just, I don't, I don't even know what they use. I don't even know why they spend the money on paint. Just go. That's the, that's the world that they live in. I'm sure if you travel abroad, you've seen that in, in other countries as well. But they're weaving in and out of traffic and passing other people at will and, and when you leave the city and you enter the, the rural and jungle areas, it's even worse. There, there aren't even lines. It's just go. People just get in their cars, buckle up, and just hit it and go. It's a free-for-all. In fact, the website GoEcuador.com says this about driving in Ecuador. Ecuador is a country with clear standards in regards to transportation laws. 
but it lacks in enforcing them. With this knowledge, you should be at your maximum level of precaution and watch out for drivers that are not careful, are aggressive or inexperienced, that can be circulating on the streets and cause an accident at any moment. I didn't put that in the travel brochure for our team. Decided to leave that out. We just risk it. But it is nuts at times. The authorities are out. The police are there. They're on the corners under their little tents doing, I don't know what, I think Dunkin' Donuts has got a good thing going down there because they're not doing anything. No offense to our state troopers in present. Um, hope I can still use your name. Um, but they're not doing anything. And I thought about it. And I thought, isn't that sometimes how we live our Christian life? We just get in the car, we buckle up, we get pointed in whatever direction we want to go, and we just go. And we live our lives like it's a free-for-all. And the problem is it's, it's dangerous. The problem is it's very reckless to live that way. We don't follow an authority. We don't follow standards. Our culture tells us there is no authority. There is no standard. And we buy into that. And so we just go. We just go with the flow. We get in the car and we just go. And it's a free for all. And you know what? Knock on wood or knock on whatever you want to knock on. You haven't had an accident so far in your life. Or have you? How's that working for you? Just kind of free flow in life and no authority and no standard. And, you know, why don't we ask the, the family or who lost children in a car accident because the driver was drunk? How's that working? How about the marriages that are falling apart in divorce because of adultery? Let's ask the children how that's working. You know, God, God gives us standards because He loves us and He wants us to experience life. But when we get in our cars of life and we just kind of free-for-all it and just do what we want and go wherever we want, you know what? It's fun and it's exciting and there's a thrill for a while. But it's also very reckless. And I know that some of you have been in those accidents. And you don't ever want to experience that again. God has given us His Word as the authority for our lives to guide us and to govern us so that we may know Him and so that we may find fullness of life. Anyone that tells you that we follow the authority of God's Word, and it's a bunch of rules that you know, keep you down and keep you oppressed and you can't ever have any fun, they don't have any clue what they're talking about. It's a lie. Because God's Word brings life. And this church and this leadership and this staff stands on the authority of God's Word as unpopular as that may put us in the media, as unpopular as that may put us with our neighboring communities, 
as unpopular as that may put us with other churches of other denominations, we don't care because we hold to one thing, the authority of Scripture. And over the next few weeks, we will be tackling some of the very difficult things of life. We will not run from them. We will not ignore them. We will not push them aside. We will, we will tackle them head on, full of grace and full of truth, working in concert together. Why? Because God wants the best for you. And when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Let's pray. Father, this morning, you have challenged our hearts with your truth and some very hard truths that we need to accept. Would you help us to affirm these things in our life so that we would know you and we would know the fullness of life that you have for us? We trust you for this. And it's in Christ's name that we pray.